whether you're uh, joining us here this morning or you're on live stream and joining us uh, in that way, I would hope that the Lord could speak to somebody today. And, uh, you know, it was, it was 15 years ago this past September that I feel like just everything in my life changed. I was the luckiest man in the world as I had my beautiful bride walk right down this center aisle. And uh, she was met me right down here at the altar, and I became the luckiest man in the world when my wife married me. And on that day, everything changed for us. And uh, because of that day, four years later, we welcomed our firstborn, Asher, into our lives. And I can tell you for certain that the birth of a child changed our lives. That life without children and life with children is like miles apart. There's just such a huge difference between life before and life after. And it's amazing how the birth of a child can change everything. And here this morning on this Christmas Eve, I want to talk about the birth of Jesus Christ and how a child who would be wrapped in swaddling clothes and how that changed everything. You see, this changes everything, the fact that Jesus came, the fact that God came and robed himself in flesh just changes everything. And on Sunday morning, since the week after Thanksgiving, we have been talking about the outsiders, and uh, I know this may not look like the most Christmas-themed series, but uh, this the fact is that Christmas is for outsiders, and on Sunday mornings, I know here this morning we have all of our Sunday school teachers and kids gathered in here. Uh, so maybe you haven't been part of this series as I've been teaching it during that time. But I want to invite you in. And uh, in fact, I'll just tell you a little bit about what we have talked about these last several weeks. Because four weeks ago, we spoke of the fact that she shouldn't be here. How there are four women that are in Christ's genealogy that God handpicked. Four women that, if you read through the genealogy there in Matthew, it, it uh, speaks of just four women who are there that we would have never picked. But I'm thankful that God picked somebody who does, seems as though they don't belong. They seem like an outsider in the genealogies. They seem like the harlot and the ones that are the outsiders, the, the Moabites the woman. These, they shouldn't be there, but God saw fit that they're there. And I'm thankful for that because the reality is I shouldn't be here either. None of us really should be here, but God saw fit that we are. Three weeks ago, we spoke of the forgotten and the forgetful, how Joseph is the forgotten one in the Christmas story. We don't think about him too often as we go through this story. And there's no songs about him. There's uh, at least none that come to mind for me. Uh, that he's the one that's forgotten. Yet the forgetful one is the innkeeper. And it's better for us to be forgotten in the story of Christ than to be forgetful of the glory of Christ. That I want to be forgotten. I'm okay. I don't need to get the glory. It's not about me. It's not about me in this season. It's not about me really in any season. It's all about him. And so let's just forget about me and let's get all the focus on Jesus. That's where it needs to be anyways. Two weeks ago, we spoke of the clash of kings. Now, there was a king who refused to worship him, even though he was only six miles away. And yet there was another king that 
another set of kings, that they came from afar to worship the infant king. And for us to to uh, focus on worship, and there is a time for worship, and I'm glad that we could gather today and that we could worship the king of kings. Amen. Last week, that's what we did as well. What a beautiful um, what a beautiful production we had, that Christmas production that took place last Sunday. And I want to say thank you so much. Uh, again, I said at the end of that service, but thank you to uh, a couple of individuals specifically, to Sister Amber or the Reuben Bricker. They did so much work in making uh, all of that come together, as well as Sheila Turnbow. Uh, she did just an incredible amount of planning and uh, all of the music with that as well. Amen. Let's put a, our hands together for her. Sarah Martinez played a big role in that. The Bovis as well with all of the, the everything coming together out there um, with the food and my wife as well. Just everything that came together for that Christmas production that we had uh, and everybody who played a part in singing and just what a beautiful service that was last Sunday. Amen. But here today on this Christmas Eve, you know, it's, it's rare that we hear of a baby who would become, end up growing up to become a king. It's even rarer that we would hear of a king who would become a baby. But that's the glory of Christmas. And this morning, I want to bring this series of these outsiders to a culmination with the ultimate outsiders. Because, well, depending on your perspective, it's either you and me or it's God himself who came to dwell among us, who is the ultimate outsider. See, we, we don't belong with him, he, and he doesn't belong with us. At least that's how it should be. That the God of all creation would come and he would dwell with us. Those whom the Bible calls strangers, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, the Gentiles. That that we, today, we should have no part in his story. Yet at Christmas, God picked up a pen and he wrote us into that story. He grafted us into the family. See, the birth of that child changed absolutely everything. I want to just start off in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis chapter 4. In these genealogies, we begin to see something peculiar that is mentioned. It says, to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos, and then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Wow. It says, they began to call on the name of the Lord. Now when, when did men, it says, then did men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Now this is the same chapter in which we have recorded the very first murder that took place. Brother against brother, that Cain slew his brother Abel. And then, as you read down through the chapter for a while, it kind of gets lost in the genealogy of Cain. Now, Cain, he has been spared by God, but he has all this great guilt that he's carrying. And one of his sons 
becomes a great builder of cities. And one of his descendants is the father of the nomads. And one of his descendants is the father of all the musicians, it says. And and one of them was the forger of, of implements of bronze and iron. And yeah, even another one was a killer, just like his great-grandfather Cain. But God then circles back to Adam and Eve, and we read that these heartbroken parents bore another son who was named Seth. And contrary to custom, Eve is the one who names this child, and she said his name is Seth, which means compensation. And to Seth was born this son. His name was Enos, and he didn't build cities. He didn't become the patriarch of some great clan or play any instruments that we know of. But it simply says that when Enos was born, that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. That altars started appearing, that morning and evening sacrifices started showing up, and one child ushers in this revival in this ancient world, that one child comes and it says, men began calling upon the name of the Lord. Old wounds begin to be healed. See, this is the story of generations in the Old Testament, but of course, if you go into the New Testament, we have how a child ushers in even greater so as the promises and, and this, this healing that would take place in the world that men could begin to call upon the name of the Lord because of the birth of a child. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, says that she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That one child could heal all of our wounds. One child could become the savior of the world. See, what we see when parents have their first child is all these radical changes are made. And, you know, even, even if you look in a spiritual sense, somebody who has, you know, as a child of God, you, you win somebody to the Lord, the, the sudden responsibility that rests on your shoulders, this this, you know, looking at church in a different way. You, you know, you're, you're wanting the songs that are sung to touch that member's heart. You want the, you want to make sure that, you know, they're taken care of. It's not just preaching that's going to tickle their ears, but it's preaching that's going to, you know, produce some change in them. There's, there's, there's something about having a child. There's something about having offspring that it changes your perspective. It changes things in you. So we can see these extreme changes that happen in the world in this Christmas story as it unfolds. For, yes, Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. That God, He created man in His own image. And God, He gave man freedom. He gave him choice. And man chose to display uh, his own choice by disobeying God, going his own way. People, they still make the same choices today. Every one of us has an opportunity to follow Christ, but we know that there are times when we make mistakes or we choose rather to disobey God, to make our own path. And this, when we do so, it it results in this separation from God. It results in us being on the outside rather than on the inside. From the very beginning... This is why I want to go back to the beginning is because God created us 
to be on the inside. God created us to be one with him. He created us in his image. Yeah, we broke that. We, man, mankind broke that when we disobeyed God. We let sin enter into the world. And, and now all of a sudden we became outsiders. We're outsiders in the story now. That there's a separation between us and God. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter what you do and of your own ability. There's nothing that we can do truly to reconcile with Christ, to reconcile with God. See, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. See, sin, sin is separation from God. It's this giant chasm. The, the holy God is, is on one side of this and, and the sinful world is on the other side of that chasm. And, and through, through the ages, man has tried to bridge that gap through all kinds of things, through, through this, you know, all kinds of philosophy and, and your morality and uh, good works, even religion. You know, try to bridge this gap between where God is at and where we are at as sinful beings. The only answer, the only answer to this, it didn't come from the inside, but it came from the outside when God chose to come to this world and bridge the gap. John chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Skipping down to verse 14, it tells us that the Word was made flesh, and it dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here this morning, I, I don't want to ruin Christmas for anyone here today, but you know, reality is Jesus, He probably was not born on December 25th. We still celebrate, take this season to celebrate his birth. And really, I could, I could go through the book of Luke and that narrative chapter uh, in chapter 1 and explain to you how Luke gives these very specific details that include the timing of, of Elizabeth and Mary's pregnancies and goes into how the angel, when the angel came and appeared to Zacharias. And it, all of that reveals to us uh, what's is more likely the timing of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ's births. See, John, he would have been born on or around the feast of the Passover. That's if you follow that timing according to what Luke lays out. As for Jesus' birth, when Gabriel showed up and, and told Mary that she was to be with child, that was probably, actually, Right around December 25th. But his actual birth was more likely in the month of September, which would be during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it's not for me today to try, as I said, I don't want to mess up all of Christmas. I love celebrating this season. I think it fits. But, uh, but, it, but it's really interesting to, to think of the fact, if you, if you really look at how things are laid out in the book of Luke, and it doesn't give this, it doesn't tell us the timing and when Jesus is born, but it does tell us about when they conceived. And so that, follow, uh, you can see that it would be 
right during the Feast of the Tabernacles that Jesus would have been born. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacles, this is a really interesting season, a really interesting uh, time of celebration for the Jewish people. See, John, as I, as I read in John 1, 1, it says that the word, or John 1, 14, says the word was made flesh and it dwelt among us. A more literal translation of that or more literal rendering of that verse would say that the word was made flesh and it was tabernacled among us. So, How much more of a significant sign could it be for us if God was tabernacled with us during the Feast of Tabernacles? Especially when John, the forerunner of Jesus, was also born. And his sign, being the forerunner, the sign that the Jews were always looking for was that he would come at the time of the Passover. Just as the prophets had said it would happen. So, here he is, Jesus Christ. He dwelt among us. He was tabernacled among us. That God chose this to be his dwelling place so that he could be among us. Because God saw us in all of our mess and God saw everything happening wrong in us and around us and with us, through us, all of, all of the messed up life that we have. And he said, I just... I need to come and be among them. I need to become one of them. And here today, I I am so glad that he chose to do so. I am so glad that he came. I am so glad that he chose that path to robe himself in flesh and to be here with us. You see, the Old Testament, it had a God that was above them. In the Old Testament... They, they, they understood God in this sense that he was holy, that he had separated himself, that his holiness set him apart from anything that was on the earth, how his holiness required that he be kept apart from them. And that's, that's why Moses, he was called up. He went up into the mountain, and when he came back down, his face was shining, and everybody was scared. And when God spoke to them, it was a thundering and lightning, and they said, I... I that God, He is so different. He is so separated. He is, uh, we can't really relate to that God. Yet they desired to worship Him. They wanted to worship. See, they, they can understand, though, this God that is holy, this God that is grandiose, this God that is a fearful God, this God who had separated Himself. Yet they still have this desire to be with God. In fact, What the children of Israel did during the Feast of Tabernacles was they set up a tent outside of their home. They went and they would stay in that tent throughout the feast. We don't have to have time really to get into all of the meaning behind this, but overall it was meant to be a reminder of the time that they had spent in the wilderness without a permanent dwelling place. But when they set up their tent, there were some stipulations for what did their dwelling place for this feast needed look like. The walls, they could be of any material, but they should be sturdy enough to withstand an ordinary wind. The roof, it should be made out of thatch or branches, which provide some shade and protection from the sun. This is a reminder of the God that they served. He was 
a God who had kept them in the wilderness. He, he was this God who was always with them, and yet he was still a distant God. He was the one that, as they looked up through that thatched roof, they needed to be able to see the stars in the sky. Because that's where God dwelt. God is far. I look up in the skies, and I see all that he created. I see his dwelling place. I see where he's at. He was always with us. Or he, he was always here, and he kept us. But yet God is far away. God is distant. See, even you and I, today, we, we know all of the wrong and that we have done in our life. We know all the sins that we have committed. And it allows us to understand that God is there and I'm here. God is perfect. I certainly am not. God is holy. We're sinful. However, that's not the way that God intended things to be. And that's not the way that God intended to leave it. (laughs) That God came because he wanted to change the way that things were operating. God came because he said, I don't want the separation between where you are, where I am at and where you are at. I want to bridge the gap so that we can become one again. I want to come and to bring you unto me. I, I need to bridge this gaps in some form or some fashion so that we can get back to how I meant it to be back in the garden. That's the way that God intended for it to be. He never intended for us to have this chasm between him and us. He, he desired fellowship. He desired communion. God wanted to walk with us day and night. God wanted to be here with us. See, Moses, he had an inkling of understanding that God desired that. That's why in Exodus 15, 2, he said, I'll prepare him a habitation. I'm going to prepare a place where God can come. In verse 17 of Exodus 15, it says, Thou shalt bring them in. And plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance in the place. O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in. In the sanctuary. O Lord, which thy hands have established. There was this desire for God to come and to dwell among the people. Yet they still understood him as a God who dwelt above them. He was this God who had separated himself because of sin. See, to them, God was this outsider. To them, God was so beyond them. To them, he was so different from them. To them, he was so separate from them. Yet they desired, if you could just come and be with us. See, Solomon had the same desire. He said in 1 Kings 8, 12, that the Lord said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. Verse 13, he says, I have surely built thee a house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. God, I want want to invite you into this house that I'm building. I want to invite you into this beautiful temple. Verse 39 says the same thing. It says, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. God, you're far. That heaven, heaven that's so far away, that's your dwelling place. God, if you would just hear this, I want to invite you in and come a little bit closer to us. So we see... 
this God that's in heaven, it's, he, they, they have this desire for him to come to earth. There's this void that's, that they, they noticed, that they felt. They're, they're wanting God to come. Verse 43 of, of 1 Kings, it says, Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for. Verse 49, he's asking God in prayer. He's calling on God, saying, Then hear thou their prayer and their supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause. See, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. He understood that there was this distinct separation between us and God. He understood that God was above us. He understood that God dwelt in the heavens. And I don't want to paint a picture today that tells us that the heavens are not where his throne is because that is how how heaven describes it. The heaven is where his throne is. But just as he is in heaven, God also is here with us on earth. That he is an omnipotent God. And he is, amen, an omnipresent God. And so he reigns and rules over all, all of uh, the abodes, whether in heaven or on earth. And God is with us here now. But he didn't just want to be with us in a sense of his spirit with us, but rather he said, I want to come and I want to live the life that they lived. I want to dwell with them. I want to tabernacle myself among them. I want to put a tent upon myself. I want all of my glory to come and to be there so that I can live amongst my people. That's why he came. That's why it was spectacular, or it is spectacular to understand the picture that comes to us in the book of John, chapter 1, where he's painting this picture in, in, in all, of this, uh, all of these analogies. And he's, he says here in verse 9 that he says, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Because he was in the world. He was in the world. John was making this very distinct statement that he, God, was in the world. The same world that was made by him. He then came to dwell in the world. Even even though the world didn't know him. Even though the world didn't recognize him. Even though they didn't know that the creator of the world was walking right amongst them in sandals because he came to dwell among us. The reality is, even today, he is here and he is in this place right now. He is moving in this place. He can walk up and down the aisles and the rows that we have in this room right now. That he is in this place. That he is stepping into every heart, into every life today. That he can reach into this room. He can reach into wherever you are at here this morning. Because he wants to not just come 2,000 years ago. But he wants to come and to dwell right here among us today. You see, what a tragedy we see in John 1, 11, where it says that he came unto his own and his own received him not. I would hope that we don't make the same mistake here this morning, that he would come into this room, but we can have a reception like none other, 
You know, we can, we can receive everybody else, but I would hope that here this morning we, we wouldn't uh, cause, cause him to feel as if he can't come and be here with us. That none of us here this morning would close off our hearts and close off any, any pathway for him to enter into the very places where he wants to come and to dwell. It says that he came unto his own and his own received him not. See, they may not have received him, but I want to receive him here this morning. They may not have received him when he came and he wrote, he tabernacled himself among them. But here today, I want to receive him as my king of kings, my lord of lords. I want to receive him as the one who could change everything in my life. The fact that he came changes everything. Changes everything. He, see, we understand a God that dwelt above us in the Old Testament. He became a God who dwelt with us in the New Testament. But God didn't stop there because God had a desire to be closer than just among us. God had a desire to dwell in us. The God that dwelt with you can today dwell in you. That same God who dwelt above them in the Old Testament, with them in the Gospels, can now dwell in you today. Is anybody thankful that He came? Is anybody thankful that He's, that He sent His Spirit so that we can have Him abiding in us today? I am so thankful for this season that we celebrate. But please know that God didn't stop there. What a picture we see in Bethlehem. What a story we see in the nativity. But God didn't stop there in Bethlehem. God didn't stop in Jerusalem. But he, yes, he came to be with us. But now he wants to dwell in us today. Romans chapter 8. In fact, our musicians can come. I'm going to be bringing this to a close. Romans chapter 8, verse 10 tells us that God isn't just happy to dwell in us, but God, or, but God is preparing a place for us. And the spirit that dwells in us is going to quicken this mortal body, this tent that I have, this tabernacle. And one day we are going to be with him. It tells us, that if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. See, God wasn't just content to dwell above us. He wasn't even content to dwell among us. He's not even just content to dwell in us. But he wants us to live with him forever. (laughs) He wants us to dwell with him forever. It changed everything when Jesus came. It turned us from outsiders. Every one of us is born on the outside. But I thank God he came so that we could become an insider with him. Thank God. God has a plan for you today. God has a plan for every one of us here this morning. It is absolutely marvelous. It it doesn't just 
reach to a few that have been faithful to him for years. It extends to everyone. Every shape, every size, every age, every background. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you came from here this morning. God intends for everyone to receive this plan that he has set out for them. You don't have to live the way that you have always lived. You can have a complete turnaround in your life. God can set you free from the past addictions and pain and hurt and sorrow. All these things that have made God feel so distant in your life. God can set you free here this morning. God can set you free here in this season right now. If you could just understand that he came and he died on a cross for your sins. He came so that you might have life and have life more abundant. God came so that you could experience life like you've never experienced it before. God came so that you no longer have to live depressed. You don't have to live discouraged. You don't have to live with fear and anxiety. But that you can have peace and love and joy. You can experience His goodness every day. You can experience new, a new life in Christ Jesus. I thank God that today I have new life that is offered to me. If you feel like your past is too much, if you feel like you have too much between where you're at and where God is at, let me tell you right now, that is not the case. That God came in the middle of all of that and he said, let me bridge the gap. It doesn't matter how much of an outsider you feel like today. You belong in Christ Jesus. You belong in me today and I came here for you. See, God is available for you this morning. God wants to dwell in you today. He wants to change everything for you. We are going to open this altar here in just a moment. If you could just stand. I want to finish with a little story that I, I read recently. It's a story of Rose Kennedy, who was the mother of JFK. She was part of this driven, successful family. Everything, it went well in their family until she had a daughter who was born with special needs. And this girl was institutionalized at an early age. And sorrow turned to anger towards God for this highly religious woman. See, Rose, she later said that it was a corrosive bitterness that leached all of the joy from her life. And one night, she had avoided this certain social gathering because, Rose, she realized that she was just so angry, so angry at the world, so angry at God uh, because of the fact of her daughter's condition that she was just afraid of what she was going to say. That night, everything changed. There was this maid who was working for the family. She worked for them for years. Mrs. Kennedy was there and, as I said, had stayed home, but this maid was there present. That maid approached her that night and said, Mrs. Kennedy, I, I've watched you for the last few weeks. I've seen how angry you are. If you don't do something, this is going to ruin you. Why don't you just pray? Why don't you pray this prayer? Oh, Lord, make my heart a manger where the Christ child can be born.
Mrs. Kennedy got so furious with that man. She had avoided that social gathering that night so she didn't have to think about it. She didn't have to be presented with how she was feeling. She immediately fired that maid on the spot. That night she couldn't sleep. She tossed. She turned. Finally, she knelt beside her bed. She prayed that very prayer. Lord, could you make my heart into a manger where the Christ child could be born today? I need some changes in my life. I got some, this depth of despair in my life right now and I can tell you that God heard and answered that anguished prayer of that woman. She said, looking back on that night, she said she felt the presence of God. She felt that God who's Love just melted her heart. How anger disappeared. The next day, she rehired that maid, and that maid ended up staying with the family until her death many, many, many years later. See, Jesus is in the transforming business today. He changes everything. If the birth of a child changed our lives... It changed the lives of Adam and Eve, changed and altered the course of history. Well, then let, why not let him change everything in your life today? Maybe we should just pray that prayer here this morning. Your hand lifted up. If you want to make your way to an altar, you can. Amen. But here today, why don't we just pray a prayer? God, let's, God, would you let my heart be a manger? God, would you let my heart be a place where you could come and that you could dwell so that you could be present there, Lord, for that's the only way, God, that I'm truly going to see the change that needs to happen in me. It's only if I open up my heart. It's only if I open it up to a place, God, where where you are welcome, where you can come and that you can abide there. God, I don't want you there just for a fleeting moment. But God, I need you there in my pit of despair, my place of anger. God, I need you there, Lord, when I feel hopeless. God, I need you there. God, when I feel like I don't have anywhere else to turn. God, I need you there. God, when I invite you into those vulnerable moments, when I invite you into those places of my heart, God, that changes everything. That changes everything because you are the Prince of Peace. Lord, you are the God of all creation. You are the one who knows the end from the beginning. God, you are the one who has everything in your hands. Lord, you have kept me. God, and I just want to honor you this morning. I want to worship you today. Could we just worship him? So let's start right now. Why would we wait? We Just one. 